You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where every episode we discuss a different album from Robert Emery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Dinosaur Jr., you're living all over me. In the room, I have Anne. Hello. On the line, I have Rob. Hi, guys. Ben. Hi. John. Howdy. And Kyle. Hi there. You're Living All Over Me is the second studio album by the American alternative rock band Dinosaur Jr. It was released on December 14th, 1970, 1987 <laughs> through SST Records. The producer was Wharton Tears, and the genre is indie rock, noise rock, lo-fi, and I'm going to read from all music reviews, Stephen Thomas Irwine. A blitzkrieg fusion of hardcore punk, sonic youth style, noise freakouts, heavy metal, and melodic hard rock in the vein of Neil Young. Your Living All Over Me was a turning point in American underground rock and roll. With its thin, unbalanced mix, the album sounds positively menacing and edgy. Lou Barlow's bass barrels forward over Mur- Murph's clanging drums with Jay Mascus guitar twisting, pummeling riffs, and careening occasionally atonal solos. It established guitar heroics as a part of indie rock, uh, bringing the noise of sonic youth into a more conventional song structure. Also, Mascus's laconic self-absorbed whine was a distinct departure from the furious post-hardcore rants or the mumbling Michael Stipe imitations that dominated indie rock while the songwriting is occasionally uneven, the best moments of your living all over me retain their power, and it's possible to hear the record's influence throughout alternative rock. All right, what do we think of Dinosaur Jr.? You're living all over me. It's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love it. This is a powerhouse of an album. I forgot how good the first album, like, out of the gate, just amazing. This is our second album. This is, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. On SST. This is is the one that hit. Yeah. But yeah, it's amazing. Freshman high school, Kyle had uh, Where You Been, but I had never heard this album before. And uh, it's fucking fantastic. I swear like Lou Barlow is like a time traveler. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, this is quite, quite good. What do you mean by that, Kyle, when you say he's a time traveler? Well, I mean, he shows up in, you know, um, Sebado and he shows up in a folk implosion, you know, (laughs) like for the next several years he's just like hey what's up guys and it's something awesome yeah. yeah you know i mean jay Maskus is doing great stuff too but just both of them like it was hard to believe this was from 1987 like i didn't for sure rem- yeah. i didn't know what what year it was from i didn't pay attention to that much in college and like i can't believe it's so early just because i feel like it led to so much familiar sound that i'm used to from the 90s right so. yeah yeah we're deep into now this is the birth of the alternative rock Seattle scene, like all the Pearl Jam, Nirvana, anyone. Throwing muses. Throwing muses. Like, I got yeah. the same feeling um, sure. from this record as I did from that record. Yeah. Totally. Proto grunge. 
<laughs> I, I would say yeah. that would be a fair thing to apply because I guess you're you're taking the sentiment of like post punk and hardcore, but applying it to like I, I think Jim Maskus once said that he was trying to make ear bleeding country. Yeah, and <laughs> so like when you take that feel, like how can you not hear this in the delivery of every Seattle grunge band? Like it's it's impossible to extricate it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he worshipped a lot of the. I think a lot like Lee Ronaldo, who was featured on the first song sure. and yeah. really got into the like hippie 60s, 70s kind of classic rock. He wasn't afraid to go there, whereas a lot of the first punks, obviously, they were rejecting all of the bigger established names. And they are like, oh, no, we need to dismantle all this rock and roll. And Jay Mascus, you know, Lee kind of had a different idea of just saying, well, it's not all bad, but we definitely need to do something different. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I agree, but the replacements were also doing this before this with, with guitar solos, with paying om- or homage to the, uh, the 70s stuff, maybe not taking it as seriously. Yeah. I feel like some of the, there's black Sabbath here too, right? That, that like the harder driving part is maybe present in a different way in this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The influences according to uh, this band could be your life is um, Motorhead. They were listening to Motorhead, Venom and Metallica initially to get that like really furious sound. But then they are also listening to the replacements, Black Sabbath and Neil Young. And then of course he later, you know, said that he was listening to the country. So it's a good yeah, mesh. You definitely hear all of it. Yeah. Yeah. First listen for me. I, I really dug it. It's everything I like. I love the, you know, the wall of sound. I love uh, the vocalizations. I definitely see like the 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 Neil Young connection, which is going to be a big hit with me. <laughs> I yeah, you know, I I've heard Dinosaur Jr. from other people's stereos for so many years, but this is the first time that I've really sat down with a record, and you know, I've been doing myself a disservice because I'm absolutely way into this this is exactly what i want who's stereos name names dude i don't know like <laughs> anyone that, I, like, that, that i've been within earshot with since college i feel like dinosaur jr has been coming out of a stereo at some point while i've been drinking a beer on a porch you know it's always been like a good listen you know passively but it, uh, but i'm really glad to like actually sit down and and give it its time that it needs you know yeah that just reminded me, I was uh, watched a pavement documentary one time and they're like wrestling in just the living room and Dinosaur Jr. is just blasting on the stereo. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, recently Jay Maskus has had a, a pop culture resurgence. I don't know, maybe or maybe maybe just like the algorithms know me. I feel like whenever I turn on a computer, it's like. Jay Maskus with his new Fender guitar, or Jay Maskus teaming up with so and so, or like Jay Maskus, like look at this new color of spectacles. Like, <laughs> <laughs> He's got a real look to him, and absolutely, he does. I feel so. My favorite thing about that is uh, one year for Halloween, I was uh, Laura Palmer wrapped in plastic, and Birch was Bob from Twin Peaks. And like at least one and maybe two people were like, oh, are you Jay Maskus? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so like a long white hair. Had long white hair and like a jean jacket. It was really, it was really great. But he does, you know, and they, they reformed and, you know, kind of have been a band again. So it kind of makes sense 
in that vein, like we got to see them a couple times because of that, which was really yeah. cool. fucking great. Absolutely. Awesome. Were, how how no, loud are they live? How deep are those stacks? Oh, so are loud. so loud. <laughs> are they louder than, uh, what's the loudest band I've seen live? Are they louder than Jucifer? I don't know if uh, I've seen Jucifer. <laughs> they're, they're definitely more intense. Uh, I've seen Jucifer and I've seen them. They're one of the loudest bands I've ever seen. They just completely crank it. And that was really interesting to reread a, our band could be your life because they were just like, no, this is just how loud we're going to make it. They just made it really hard on themselves to, to, you know, hard be friends with the sound engineers. Yeah. <laughs> but they said, Jay just said, I want to feel the music. Like I want to physically feel the sound waves when I'm playing guitar and it's so loud. It's two Marshall full stacks. Okay. And just, and unlike up. a lot of the, uh, the the 80s metal bands on their stadiums, I bet the full stacks actually have uh, speakers in them. They're all plugged in. We saw them <laughs> and we saw uh, sleigh bells who had like a, a, a bunch more stacks, but half of them were empty. And I was like, this doesn't, this Silly. isn't even a, a <laughs> Empty stacks is the lamest, weakest T in rock and roll. Empty stacks killed rock and roll. I would also start that band. <laughs> empty stacks. <laughs> so these bands with their empty stacks, are they're... they're paying roadies to to haul these empty boxes around and the, they're saving space for them in their trailers. It's the least rock and roll thing in, in the world. Neil Young had a lot of empty stacks on stage for uh, his... Uh, Rest yeah, Never uh, Sleeps. Rest Never Sleeps, sleeps yeah. Yeah. Gigantic well, yeah. empty stacks. The Neil Young gets empty pass. stacks you've ever seen. Neil I don't know. <laughs> it, it, for, for a stage show, not everyone can afford to, you know, build out a... Uh, a bunch of pyramids or like have a world war two fighter jet fly over or whatever. So yeah, you know, throw some boxes up there. Who gives a shit? Like eight, eight full stacks though. Like, like you would see like on a striper stage, it's just, it's not even necessary because there's a thing called PA systems, you know, like you, you don't. Yeah. But for a stage of that size, you need something to fill in the gaps. Otherwise you're just running around on a very, you're very small people on a very big stage. Empty place. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to get into this argument. So I right. saw I saw them in, at the Bluebird. So imagine the Bluebird, it's which holds small, small how many does it hold, Ben? You probably know the capacity for the Bluebird. I do. It's seven fifty. Seven fifty, and but I that's saw counting. That's counting the front. Exactly. Yeah. It's like 2010, 2011, around that time. Yeah, around that time. Yeah, and uh, that just imagine like full cranked up in there so you it's ear shattering loud i mean i had earplugs in for sure i used real earplugs instead of toilet paper for yeah. that every time i see that <laughs> but hopefully jay lou and murph are using earplugs yeah they are i think i think they had i think uh lou had a uh, actual like headphones like the like a baby way is that a show yeah like, like, a like, a, yeah. like you're at the shooting range air, yeah right. air traffic controller like you're, yeah. like you're yeah you're taxiing in a <laughs> yeah. fucking jet <laughs> The loudest thing I ever saw was swans, I think. Mm. I think that they was were, the That was loud. They were pretty the loud, loudest. but I don't think that was as loud as no. Dinosaur Jr. when I saw them. Yeah. Yeah, when you guys saw them at, at the Bluebird, um, I was out back while they were playing smoke and weed, and I tried to smoke them out when they when they came outside <laughs> for a break. Nice. And they politely declined. Oh <laughs> sorry, dude. Swans or dinosaur junior. <laughs> dinosaur Jr. <laughs> I thought Jay Mascus is straight edge. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that doesn't mean they all are. Didn't smoke today. Go. 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 Didn't
I was looking at Lou. I was looking at Lou. Yeah, Lou, yeah. for sure. He's the nice one anyway. <laughs> yeah. Is Jay Maskus actually straight edge? I really didn't know that. Basically. I think he's, so. I he could says, be wrong. He's a teetotaler. Uh, yeah. But okay. it's not like he says straight edge. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no. no. Yeah. Straight edge. Those are two different yeah. things. The way it's, yeah, you, you can be a teetotaler and not be straight edge. He's seen. a teetotaler. Yeah. yeah. I think that it doesn't help him deal with stuff, so he's decided not to engage in it. Yeah. So... Man, you, you wouldn't tell by listening to all this gnar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I feel like I have the, the dorkiest way to get into Dinosaur Jr. was um I picked up their Where You Been album because they had a song on the Wayne's World 2 soundtrack. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, Do you want to hear how I got it's into It's a great them? soundtrack, by the way. Mm-hmm. I would love to. And poetry yeah. class in freshman year of college, we had to bring in lyrics to a song and somebody brought the lyrics to In a Jar. <laughs> Pretty dorky. That's cool. <laughs> nice. But also great. And I still love that song, right? I didn't pull up the lyrics for this album. How are Dinosaur Jr. lyrics? Are they profound? Yeah, they're they're very earnest. They're detached, but they're earnest. It's like a slacker ethos type thing going on, which is like good. I think it matches them really well. It's not intensely clever or anything, but it's not, it's not stupid yeah. or anything either. It's um, I can dig it. It suits them. I I read that. In an interview, Jay Maskus denied that the title of this album, You're Living All Over Me, is something that he said to bandmates while on a long tour in a van. And I wish he hadn't denied that because I love that story. Yeah. It applies I, as a ter- terminology, even if it's not yes. true, right? Yeah. I think yeah. I think we've all felt someone living all over you at, at some point in time. I think we've all lived all today. over someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the original band, they, they were called Deep Wound, and they were sort of like a punk rock, I don't know, what did you say, almost hardcore punk with uh, Lou Barlow on guitar, Jay Mascus on drums. I thought it was so cool that they sort of, uh, they were making like million mile an hour type DIY hardcore stuff. And then I had read that <laughs> Jay's mom knitted a Deep Wound sweater with like just a big red uh, like wound in the middle. <laughs> That's so cool. That was cool. The I, I, thing ever. I heard, I heard that they had. There was a show where they decided they didn't want the lead singer of Deep Wound in the band anymore. But instead of kicking him out, they broke up the band and formed Dinosaur Junior without him the next day. Yeah, I read dinosaur. that too. Yeah. He like dinosaur. Went on dinosaur. Sorry, dinosaur. Uh, yeah. He went on an anti. Not to be confused rant. with the 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 old people jam band. Yeah, that's that's such a kick in the dick too. Of like, oh, and who is the band Dinosaur? Oh, it's a quote-unquote super group of guys from Big Brother and Holding Company, Quicksilver Messenger Service, Jefferson Airplane, and Country Joe and the Fish. All your favorites. Yeah, <laughs> to, be the, fair, to be fair, those fuckers are dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, no, if, if you're, you're going to get sued by some boomers, may as well get yeah. sued by those assholes. <laughs> and I think Dinosaur, dinosaur Jr. Overall, is a cool, cooler it's name. A better, it's a better name. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, it, it all worked out, but it's like, okay. And I've these are the fuckers heard... that are doing it. Dinosaur. I've only exactly. heard Dinosaur Junior. Yeah. So I kind of love the junior aspect of it because it it really presents that sort of 
slacker, like you were saying, slacker ethos of yeah, being like, it's a perfect ah, name. can't do dinosaur. Huh? How about dinosaur junior? Fine. Well, and it's dinosaur like, junior. They're, they're massively, there's massive elements to this music. It's like just yeah. really, really big, but then it's got this sort of mm. thinner voice, this sort of quiet voice going on yeah. too. That's the junior part, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a much better name. Gonna say it does introduce the sort of quiet loud, quiet loud um, that we'll get a lot more in the '90s. That was that was like a big thing of having these introspective sort of um, uh, verses, and then having the loud, loud choruses or vice versa. No wipers in this book, right? No, no wipers. Sorry. No wipers. Yeah, I was gonna say lose kind of remind me of the wipers a little bit. When you say when you say lose, Kyle, do you mean the songs that are lose the last two on the album, or the song lose? Oh, or the song lose. Yeah, good point. Song lose, which is also one which of is lose. also one of lose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I oh, I see what you're doing there. Okay. No, I was I was kind of surprised because we talk about like how do you do your track listing, how do you stack things up, and Lou has two songs on this album. The last two lose, and I don't know Poleto. I don't know Poleto, and they're not drastically different from the the rest of the sounds that are on this album, but they're distinct. I think in that they like really bring forward that sort of noise and then like auditory collage a little bit. And yeah, they're like, really good. There's a Sebado song on this album is what you're saying. Oh yeah, yeah. exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I wasn't expecting it. So it was kind of like, okay, I'm listening. And then all of a sudden there's like, you know, uh, especially in lose, there's like this growl, this noise growl that comes in at like two minutes, mm-hmm. 17 seconds. I was like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is that? But yeah, I, yeah. I, I'd argue that "Lose" is the best album or best song on the on the record. Okay, my, bro. For, for my for my ears, that um, and Polito. I mean, both of them. I like yeah. cracked tar and pit. Someone pronounced track one for me. Little fury things. Little, little yeah, fury little things. Fury things. <laughs> little fury. One R. Is, is that a yeah. typo or is I think it little it's a fury pun. things? Yeah. It's a pun because I think like My Chemical Romance or something did a. <laughs> a reference to it on one of their songs. Nope. Go on. It's like little, little fury, little fury animals. Or I something. couldn't bring myself to copy and paste it. Yeah, it's little. Like it's little fury something else. Uh, yeah, it's it's a someone pronounced pun. track five for me. Is it raisins? Raisins. <laughs> Box of raisins. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about the tone on that, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever? Did you ever figure it out? I. Th- yeah, I think you were right. I think it's just like a big muff or. Uh, yep. Yeah. I think it's a rat or a original Big Muff. And then his solos, he's notorious for using that super Big Muff, that electro harmonics that gives it, it almost like breaks up the, the like shredding guitar. It almost sounds like that it, one weird little punch in. That's like, no, no, I'm just talking okay. about his solos. His solos have like that. It's like super, super like overdriven, but crunchy, almost crusty yeah, sort of it sounds sound. really good. And it just, and it was before the grunge pedal was invented. There's a grunge pedal. Yeah, there's a there, digital harmonic. Is there a pedal you can buy just to sound grunge? Yes. Yeah. Sure, is it yeah. called the grunge the pedal? Grunge pedal. It is called the grunge there's a pedal, pedal. for everything. Who, who makes right? it? Digital uh, harmonics. It's a, I was think. It? Sonic Youth did a whole video mocking it. <laughs> I thought it was one of those boss pedals. But, um, <laughs> of course. I mean, it seems like you could relabel a chorus pedal, the grunge pedal, because it would just sound like Nirvana leads. I think it had a chorus and distortion. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. So, Birch, did you reread the chapter in Our Bank Can Be Your Life? Absolutely. Uh, okay. One one thing that stuck out to me, there are two things. One is this quote from Lou Barlow uh, regarding how the royalties were supposed to be paid out for this record. And uh, everything went to Jay Mascus, according like the SST, like they just paid him and Jay was supposed to pay the rest of the band. 
And uh, in response to that, Lou Barlow said, Jay's a real prime stinking red asshole. That guy is the cheapest bastard. He does not get how Murph and I helped him get anywhere that he was. He could not have done that without us. He didn't see how we were all integral. Yeah, so apparently uh, they really didn't get paid any royalties off of this record because uh, Jay Maskus was like, now. How long ago was that interview? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, probably pre the uh pre the reunion uh, that book didn't come out uh, mm. yeah i also heard there was some tension over a uh, former drummer jay maskus being a soup nazi all over uh, murph's drum parts yeah mm-hmm. yeah he, he, he a, is such a stickler, stickler. he's an aloof stickler he like the worst kind base cadet <laughs> but he also is like very mean and he he admits that and i and lou is yeah, they both have a lot of attention. Talented. Yeah, both very talented, and you just can't be in the same room. Hate each other. Thinking well, red asshole. Figured out how to like <laughs> each other because they came back together. Right? Yeah, I mean, I money that how to work. Figured like out everyone. how to work together, maybe. Yeah. Well, that was. I think it was around when Jay Maskus had a kid, right? So yeah. maybe he needed some money, <laughs> but maybe chill out. Yeah, maybe he realized that like what they were bringing. Hopefully, he did. Hopefully, there was some kind of. The Pixies came to that exact same consensus. They did. They all got along and made millions of dollars. Um, The (laughs) one thing I did take real umbrage with out of that, though, was a quote from Michael Azarad, which was only hippie used Wawa pedals. Mm -mm, Not true. And that is fundamentally false. And maybe maybe I should be reading more into the punks or the post-punks, but the fucking metal scene had never quit the wall. Like, mm, really, sounds like a very Azerite thing to say. That yeah. I don't know. Punks hated the, the wah wah pedal because there's they, a lot more you can do with the wah pedal than absolutely. just go. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, but that and was those a the hippies rejection. never did that. <laughs> no, they didn't. That was funk boys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but just think of if you're a punk and you're looking at someone like, and then Frampton comes alive, comes on, and you're like, wait, hold on. Oh, what are we going to do? Talk box. Trigger. That is a talk box. No, I know a, it's a talk box, but he probably also used probably a had a wah too. Yeah, yeah. You guys are giving wah wah. How about Frampton had a whole oh, Death oh, Star of pedals up there? I don't know this for a fact. I'm just betting. Yeah, I'm not going to look it up. Uh, Jay did <laughs> for sure. Jay has. He's oh yeah, a very pedal centric, and I think he he really latched onto that wah and those different pedals from Sonic Youth. I mean, he admitted that they were they were. The shit at the time, you know, and they were on SST. And so his whole goal was let's get to SST uh, kind of ditch. Was it homesick records? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it was like, homesick. wasn't it like it was like their friend, right? Mm-hmm. It was yeah, like the friend that's like, I'll put out your record. Yeah. And then he, he's like, of course, you'll do my we'll do your second one, too. And they're like, oh, no. Yeah. Homestead. <laughs> about that is homestead. <laughs> and he was like, well, there's no way I'm not going to be mad about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the way things are with that guy. But yeah. And Jay was like, I understand yeah. that you're going to be mad about that. <laughs> A lot of people have this reaction to me for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get this a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm sure SST had better distribution than Homestead. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's why they did it. And it was before a time where that wasn't necessarily like completely frowned upon. Because there was literally um, from th- people like Sonic Youth and Dinosaur Jr. It's it's like it has nothing to do with being like 
you want to be, you know, you don't want to be in with these big wig uh, companies, but at the same time, it's like, I need my record to ship, you know, to California. I can't just. Well, if it's a difference between you getting to keep working in art or not, you right. have to pick what lets you keep working, right? Right. So if you don't want to be on uh, some big old fat cat record label, but you still want your records distributed, you just call up Greg Jin or Greg Ginn. Yep, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I think the uh, Sonic Youth sent sent him a cassette of Dinosaur Junior, and and that's where they they got picked up because he was already looking to expand. You know, the catalog Black Flag wasn't you know about to break up. They're already doing this sort of like arty, more artsy punk stuff that and this fit right in so dinosaur jr correct me if i'm wrong they're like like boston area yeah are they i think so are so at this time in the boston area we we we, we've also got uh, throwing muses and pixies who were hanging out together enough that they both ended up on 4ad i'm kind of surprised that 4ad didn't just kind of do like a clean sweep of the boston scene while they were at it you know i think that J-Mask has, like, moved to New York mm, around okay. when the second album was happening, and that's where Sonic Youth was and stuff, so I think... And they toured with Sonic Youth right before this came out, so... That makes sense. It yeah. might have been more of a, like, we want to associate with this scene. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did want to mention, since we had covered them previously, someone said this sounded, uh, his guitar and the tone sounded like erupting, like Hawkwind on steroids. And I was like, ah, oh, Hawkwind. I get it. Got that Motorhead <laughs> vibe, but a little psychedelic and loud, a little sloppy. I can dig it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the vocals on this sound really Greg Sage-ish to me. Um Someone said that Kurt Vile owes uh, Mascus like a lot of royalties for his vocal vocalizations. Hmm. Well, as long as Mascus is also paying Neil Young, <laughs> right? True. Yeah. Well, I mean, and Eddie Vedder needs to pay somewhere <laughs> in that chain. Like, yeah, like he needs to pay off Scott Stapp. Somewhere along the line, they're, they're, <laughs> somewhere yeah. along the line, their necks got pretty thick, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, in, somewhere in the Creed branch. <laughs> I do, I, 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 I do hear the the tangent between Dinosaur Junior. and 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 Kurt Vile. That, that I would be very surprised if he didn't list them as an influence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What do we think of the recording? Like this lo-fi, kind of thin, not real. I'll tell you what, like um, in the middle of listening to these other records, like putting it on was, I was like, whoa, what is this? For like a few (laughs) seconds, you know? Yeah. I mean, after like Peter Gabriel and, uh, you know, Anthrax, like I was like, oh, this is thin and sharp and weird, you know? Yeah, that that, the guitar on uh, Little Fury things, I did not like it. (laughs) <laughs> it's like a buzzsaw like it's i mean so i like crazy. it now but yeah initially i was like yeah, yeah i was like god damn it <laughs> turn well, down isn't that kind of the 
isn't that kind of the, the the noise ethos a little bit? It's like, okay, I'm going to throw something in here that is absolutely un, un, unpleasant because it makes you pay attention. <laughs> absolutely, John. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it was effective as fuck compared to seeing them and how loud they are in person. It is definitely. I hadn't remembered how quiet it kind of sounded. So that's yeah, yeah. very, very, very lo-fi, and I think that also kind of spurned. I mean, this album and I guess the other albums also kind of spurned that a uh, sort of shoegazing. Everything is mixed and mashed into like the same, almost same tonality. It's like waves of sound that are mm-hmm. that permeate, permeate. Obviously, you know, like Kevin Shields was meticulous about how, you know, that records uh, my bloody Valentine sounded. But but it has that sort of like idea of everything bleeds into everything else and is kind of just a. Uh, like a like a grungy mess it is a weird just this is how everything's gonna sound in a few years kind of record (laughs) yeah i think my biggest shock too is they they got to this place right they got to sst and then they were kind of like well we did it like they're all just kind of looking at each other like well, we're not like a stadium rock band. We know we'll never, you know, get that to that level. So what do we even do? Like, where do we go from here? Is is it just, you know, we continue to do this? And I mean, some might say, I don't know if you guys would say this, but they might say it's kind of the ACDC effect where it's like Jay's, Jay and they've kind of been writing the same style or same type of music for, for years and years. Great music for sure. But it, it kind of like this was a like a kind of a formed idea by this album. I remember that um, late 90s uh, single they had. Um, Feel the pain. Yeah. With uh, the music video with the golfing and the violence. Yep. I remember seeing that video all the time. Like that, that must have been their biggest hit album, right? Yeah, Feel the Pain is their biggest single. I looked it up on just on Spotify to see what, you know, what their top songs were. And that was like 40 million and everything else was, you know, I think like maybe 8 million or something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. Highest. So, yeah, a lot of people feel the pain off where you've been is probably the just like the pinnacle of of their popularity. Yeah, that's kind of the MTV effect, just like uh, Peter Gabriel and Sledgehammer. Yeah. Big label. They're on a major label. Um, I want to say it was Warner Brothers. Was it Island though? Sire Records. Yeah. They signed to Sire? Was that like mid-90s? 90. 1990. In 90, they signed to Sire. Wow. Mm -hmm. With Green Mind. And then it's really crazy. Green Green Mind's not SST? Uh, No. No. That's that's when they signed. Uh, That was in 90-91. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting too. We're going to get Bug. So we have more Dinosaur Jr. to talk about. Oh, cool. But uh, I thought it was really cool. Um. Because I had I hadn't really put it together how many uh how much Jay was doing later on like he was doing the drums like on Feel the Pain that's him on the drums doing guitar and I think he has a bassist but it's it's kind of wild to think about that hmm. that he he I just kind of that. he was like such a stickler but at the same time he, he knows his business he, he knows <laughs> it so and if you don't play the drums right he'll probably play the drums so he was a drummer first. I do like that Lou Barlow was like, you know what this album needs is some ukulele. And he was right. <laughs> yeah, Lou Barlow's the man. It comes off as a, a very strange like ending, but I think it's properly placed. So it's it has a 
like if there was another shredding guitar you know after the the last song it, it might feel a little weird you get kind of the impact of the whole thing too mm-hmm. i think some of the strength of like the songwriting in general is that i feel like they kind of the songs will switch directions and sometimes drawing ways but it's like really engaging and so ending on like a kind of completely different note for me like gives you kind of time to think about the whole album in that context too right the way that noise operates and the way that the tender parts like contrast to the tough parts i don't know yeah absolutely yeah i I felt like it was a good way to close like a live show and it kind of works as at the end of an album speaking of uh shredding guitar after the last song i listened i listened past to the bonus track so i got just like heaven which is awesome you know, and, and apparently Robert Smith thought it was awesome, too. What's up with the ending, though? Did they just run out of tape? I think so. I first, don't know. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I I went back, like, four times before I, like, could yeah. like just be like, okay. It's I thought it was like a glitch that. on Spotify, so I pulled it up on YouTube. I found, like, the music video. I'm like, oh, surely the music video will have the actual ending of the song. <laughs> nope. Nope. It just, it, they just... I think they run out of tape. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they run out of tape. I think they did that on purpose. I, I, I think could it see was, it as uh, a commentary, right? Yeah. yeah, I think they were just like, and we're out, you know. It's like, fuck <laughs> just this. to piss everybody <laughs> off, like the end of The Sopranos, you know? Oh, man, but Just Like Heaven like actually has, like unlike songs that fade out, Just Like Heaven has an ending. Not this time, that, bro. Not this time. <laughs> not that it just goes, you! And then cuts off. <laughs> I really like... And the line, uh, uh, kiss my face, you kiss her head. When, when, with the, the punch in, we're just pad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how do we feel? How do we feel about the dinosaur gene? You're living all over me. Hey. Everybody here I, for this? Yeah. This is great stuff. They're shredding all over me. Nice. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. I was Total happy pop. to listen to this several times over the last week. Yeah. yeah. And it is a several times thing for me. Uh, I've always kind of had like Dinosaur Jr. at arm's length because it's not immediately a thing that I ever want to hear. But yeah, we're, we're worth a worth a listen. I'm, I'm glad that I, I listened to it enough times to be engaged with it. It's I, I think as they go along, this is probably maximum impact. It's one uh, that's what I'm going to call the the albums that are like early in someone's career, but maybe not the most refined is, is sure. they they came on very big but at the same time the the recording does get better more palatable i would say to my taste uh from the sort of i think they capture their sound better on a, a little bit later albums cool well i look forward to the next one all right next time we'll be talking about dolly parton linda ronstadt and emmy lou harris trio all right thanks Woo! y'all i've got that one Twisted thing.